0: You pray with me. Father, we pray that you would finish your new creation because the world waits. And as Paul says, the world groans in anticipation of the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. And Lord, we um, think we're waiting on you, but you're waiting on us. And it is good for us to wait before you, Lord. And Lord, if we could this morning, we would take all the crowns that we have accumulated in this life. The the crowns of achievement, the crowns of success, the crowns of academia, the crowns of our own accomplishments. And Lord, we would, in anticipation, cast them all at your feet So that we could be lost in wonder and love and praise in the presence of a love so divine that it excels and exceeds all other loves. And God, I thank you that we have found this love in Christ. And I pray that as Paul says to the Ephesians that we who live would live for your glory, to the praise of your glorious grace, by which we are saved, in which we stand, in Jesus' name, amen. That was remarkable. Thank you. Thank you for helping us to worship the Lord together today. It's been a a frenetic weekend for me a great weekend and interesting weekend and I need to worship I need to be with God's people we uh, took off Thursday afternoon and headed up to Arkansas we um, went to Christian Ichter's wedding and it was a marvelous wedding beautiful music beautiful couple beautiful future and um, along the way stopped and saw our son who's um, uh, distinguishing him, himself as a rising star. That's what it says on his apron as he serves the people at Cracker Barrel. And um, he's not a one star or a two star, or three star, four He's a rising star. He he's not even a star yet. And I said to him, I think if you're going to preach the gospel at some point in your life, you need to feed people because if you don't learn what it means to feed food to people you'll miss the importance of what it means to feed people from the word of God. It became more eventful on the way home when we blew out a tire and uh, uh I don't know what they're making tires out of these days but um the steel radial just about beat the back of my wife's car to death and uh so, if you see a, a blue Honda Pilot with duct tape on the side today, you'll know that I fixed it. I, all by myself, with nobody else's help. And I hope it makes it till Monday when I can get it to somebody who can really fix it. And then today is our 29th wedding anniversary, and uh, we are so grateful. I know next weekend we're celebrating some even longer and bigger wedding anniversaries uh, in our church. But for us today, we're still novices, but uh, we are grateful and um, God has been good to us. You remember little Simon Birch in the movie. Um, They took John Irving's book, A Prayer for Owen Meany, and made it into a book. You remember this little diminutive character. Not everything in the movie or the book is great. And I suppose we could say that about every book except this book. But that that movie is interesting because it it depicts a little boy who never quite grows and uh, he has a number of physical limitations and uh, he's tough to throw a strike to when he's playing baseball because the strike zone is so small, but he has other challenges and one day he gets in trouble and he's called into the pastor's office and um, he says to the pastor, do you believe that God has a plan for our lives? And the pastor says, well, of course, Simon, I believe that God has a plan for our lives. And he says, great, because I believe that I am going to be God's great instrument. And you can read it in the pastor's eyes. May this never happen in any of my meetings with people. But you can read it in his eyes. He has his doubts that this little boy is going to be God's instrument to do anything in the world. And he he mumbles something about, well, I'm glad your faith has helped you understand your, and he pauses, he doesn't even know how to say it, "Your, your condition, he says. And the little boy says, no, you don't understand. God is going to use me to do something Great, And even his good friend, who's a good bit taller and more athletic, says to him, you need to stop telling people that. You need to stop saying you're going to be God's instrument because people already don't like you because you're different. And when you say that, that makes them even more uncomfortable with you. And he says, well, I believe it. And he says, but you have no proof. And he says, well, you need faith. And his friend says, I like proof to go along with my faith. And when I saw that again this weekend, I thought about Joseph. I thought about how he had dreams of greatness and grandeur that someday, he said, when he was 17 years old, after having a a dream, he said to his brothers and even to his father, someday you're going to bow down to me. And his grandiose dreams got him um, uh, exiled by his brothers, sold into slavery and And I think by the time he reached the age of 30, after he had been a slave and a prisoner, and even after he interpreted the baker's and the cupbearer's dreams, you remember those? And the the baker's uh, head is lifted off, but the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh's palace. And Joseph's parting words to him are, don't forget me. And then in chapter 42, verse 1 of the book of Genesis, it says, but for two full years. Joseph was forgotten again. What becomes of our dreams when all the people around us say they won't be fulfilled, when all the evidence seems to argue that our dreams were just that, dreams? And then we discover that though we have often forgotten God and nearly everybody has forgotten us, God has never for one moment forgotten his greater plans for our lives. Would you open your Bibles with me today as we continue our study of the life of Joseph? And I want to read to you just a few verses from chapter 41 and a few verses from chapter 45. Chapter 41, verse 56, and then... Chapter 45, we'll look at at verse 4. We'll begin there. Would you stand with me in reverence for our God and His Word? I thought about calling this message, In Your Dreams, because I think that's what people would have said about Joseph and his thoughts of being great. But maybe we should call it God's greater purpose. Genesis 41, verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph Opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live. And not die. And so his sons do, 10 of them. Benjamin stays home and there's a series of, you ought to read it, it's a powerful narrative of Joseph just examining his brother's hearts though they don't know who he is, clean shaven like an Egyptian, they don't know him. But then in chapter 45, verse four, when they've come and gone home and come back again, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, There will not be plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt Come down to me. Don't delay. Thank you. You may be seated. So his brothers had no idea when they sold him into slavery that Joseph would be God's instrument for their deliverance and salvation. We've drawn the parallel between Joseph and Jesus and it's It's hard to escape in the narrative as Joseph is beginning to rise into power and finally the cupbearer remembers him and he's the only one who can interpret Pharaoh's dreams and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and then Pharaoh puts him in charge of all the land and he begins to feed the people and he begins to save the world and he saves his family also. To be more specific, he delivers the very ones who delivered him into slavery. Does this Story sound familiar? As we read the story of Joseph, a friend of mine said his story is closer to the story of Jesus than any in the Old Testament. And when I read it, I see it. I see it again and again. And I love the way that that Joseph grows beyond the immaturity of his teens to this point in his life. Now he's 30 years old and he's working for the Pharaoh, the most powerful man perhaps on the whole earth. And he has this understanding that life is no longer about Joseph. Unlike that Auden character about whom he wrote, her world was bounded on the north, the south, the east and the west with herself. But not Joseph. Joseph has moved beyond what the comedian Brian Regan would call the the me monster. You know the person at the party who talks about me and then about myself and then about Eye. And if you have a story, they have a better story. You finish your story and they say, well, that's nothing. And you realize you've just wasted everybody's time because your story was nothing. And you told about your two wisdom teeth, but it turns out he had four wisdom teeth removed and they were all impacted and the roots were wrapped around his tongue. And it was the most remarkable experience of all. And you just wish on those days when you're in those parties and the person says, I know you have a new car, but I have a fleet of cars over in Germany. And they all drive up and down the Audubon where there's no speed limit. And Regan says, just once I wish I were one of those 12 people who has actually walked on the moon. So I could listen to him tell all of those stories and I could, I could just continue to dip the hors d'oeuvres. And when he finished, I could say I walked on the moon. In fact, I was driving in the sea of tranquility in my lunar rover and I thought about the traffic and then I realized there's nobody else on the moon. He said just once, I wish I could tell a story like that but then even in his humor he shows us how absurd our self-centeredness is and Joseph moves beyond that immaturity to the maturity of realizing that his purpose is to use his gifts to serve other people, that his gifts are about the glory of God and his gifts are about helping other people in need. I read it in a quote from Janet Dennison this week. It came across uh, the Twitter line or somewhere and uh, made it into my office by by means of an email where where Janet Dennison said, if you're trying to find out what your kingdom purpose is, it's the service that God has gifted you to perform that has eternal value. And when, when last did you see God at work in your life with the end result that people encountered God in their own lives? Chances are the answer to that question is your kingdom purpose. Have we discovered that our gifts are not about us? that our gifts are about serving others. On our 2020 committee led by Glenn Powell, um, there's a a subset committee that's looking at kingdom resources. And silly me, I thought they were going to be thinking about money and finances and Um, facilities and all of that. And they came back with their first report led by Ann Bradshaw. And she said, the greatest resources at Tallawood are the people and the spiritual gifts that God has given them. And what if we spent some time asking the question, how can we employ all the gifts that God has given to this body for the greater glory of God? And Joseph gets that because our gifts come from God, all the glory must go to God. So you see it in chapter 41, verse one, after he's waited for two years, then in verses 15 and 16, he's called up out of the prison and the Pharaoh says to him, so I understand you can interpret dreams. And in verse 16, he says, I can't interpret dreams, but God can interpret dreams. And after he listens to the dreams in verse 28, he says, this is what God is saying to you. And in verse 32, again, it's exactly as God said to you so it's no surprise when Pharaoh's looking for somebody to put in charge of the enterprise of feeding the people after the seven years of plenty and before the seven years of famine that he says can we find anybody in whom is the spirit of God and here's what I know about people who are filled with the spirit of God we are not filled with ourselves we don't talk about ourselves life is not about us it's about God and about what God can do and about what God wants to do in the world. And I wish we could get to the place. Kind of like I was reading about George Washington and Carver this week and, and his dialogue with God. And he was this brilliant man, a former slave who becomes a brilliant scientist. And one day he said he looked up at God and said, God, could you explain to me the mysteries of the universe? And God said to him, yeah, that's for me to understand. And then Carver said, well, could you explain to me the mystery of the peanut? And he said, God said to him, Now that's more your size, George. I can explain that. He became a world renowned expert on the peanut and used that for the glory of God to help other people. Why did James say, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning? Why? Why is every good gift from God? And what if we used everything we had for the glory of God? You know, when I saw it, I was reading through your prayer requests. Thank you for sharing your prayer request. I read through everyone. I prayed for everyone. And as I was reading through them, one of our families who saw their home on a Saturday night recently burned down because it was struck by lightning and, and uh, Jerome Smith and Larry Heslip and Larry Bertrand were standing in the yard as the rain was falling and watching the gentry's house burn down. And the They submitted a prayer request this week. And I just want to share with you the words that they wrote on that because they arrested me. As we rebuild our home, we pray that it will be dedicated and worthwhile for Christian service. You better believe I prayed that prayer for their home. But I didn't stop with their home. I prayed that for your home and for my home and for this house and for our bodies and our lives, that we would be found fit For Christian service. What if we saw our homes as places of Christian service? What if we saw everything that God has given us as a gift from Him that we can use to give glory to Him and to serve others? And when the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends Priscilla and Aquila and talked about the church that met in their house, you need to know the gentries for some years now have been gathering a home group into their home. And sharing the word of God with people so their house is a church. And so when it was taken away and they were displaced, their first thought was not what color will our kitchen be when we get back in? Their first thought was, will it be a place where we can serve God? Since God gave us everything we have, what if we use everything we have for his glory? What if we use everything we have to serve him? I see it there in chapter 45, verse 7. I just think this is so incredibly powerful. When he says to his brothers, I know you um, sent me here, but it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. Come close to me, he says. I want you to know who I am. I was cut off from you because you sent me away, but God was in that. And he brought me here so that we could feed people. And this, I think, verse seven is most most remarkable when he says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, when I see that, that verse... I realized that Joseph found God's greater purpose for his life. He could have spent the rest of his life talking about how bad his brothers had treated him. But instead, he was talking about how God was going to use him. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what pain you've been through. But I wonder how God will use that and send you. To help redeem, restore, and deliver other people who are suffering. And Joseph gets this, and at the end of that little movie, Simon Birch, Simon Birch finds himself on a school bus with a bunch of little children that goes off the road into a frozen river and begins to sink in the water. And wouldn't you know it, the back door of the bus is jammed, so the kids can't get off the bus, and they're all going to drown. But he's just small enough to get through one of those windows, and he gets out, and he's a really good swimmer, and he makes his way around and opens the back of the bus and delivers all of those children and saves their lives lives but in the process contracts pneumonia and eventually loses his own life and his friend as an adult walks back to the tombstone for little Simon Birch and acknowledges that it was Simon's faith in God that helped him finally come to faith in God and when I read about Joseph feeding the people, I'm reminded that more people die of hunger in our world every year than from AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis Combined To be specific, there are 925 million people who are hungry, 98% from developing countries, one in seven people in the world are hungry right now. Five million children die under the age of five every year in our world because of hunger. And one statistic said, if you just took the amount of money that Americans spend on potato chips and tortilla chips every year, we could solve 90% of Of that problem. I read it in uh, Sarah Miles' little book, Um, Take This Bread, where she talked about the first time she ever ate the Lord's Supper. At the age of 46, she walked into a church and she ate the bread and drank from the cup for the very first time. And she said, It was while I was eating that bread that I realized God's purpose for my life. I am here, she said, to feed people who are hungry. And it turns out there are a lot of hungry people in our world. And maybe as we eat this morning, God will reveal something of His greater purpose for us. Maybe as we drink, but I couldn't escape as I read this story over and over again. As much as I would love to be Joseph in this story, that's not who I am, I'm the people. Who come to Joseph for food. I'm the one who can't save myself. And I'm reminded in Joseph's story that there's a picture of a larger narrative of one who was sold by a good friend who was crucified on a cross. And the very night that he was crucified, he fed the people who would run for their lives to escape from him, who would deny him with their mouths, who would betray him with their words. He fed those people. Here is bread, he said. Here is the cup. And I realized as I eat this morning and as I drink this morning that I'm more like, I'm more like the baker and the cupbearer in the jail with Joseph in chapter 40. I deserve to die. But by God's grace, I'm lifted back to life. And for me, this brings great gratitude and great joy. For you, let's pray. God, thank you for amazing grace and love. And Lord, that you feed us and you sustain our souls And Lord, help us as we eat and drink this morning to remember that even though we have often forgotten you this week, and maybe we feel like the whole world has forgotten us, today as we eat and drink, we remember that you have not forgotten us. And we remember, we remember you as we eat And as we drink, in Jesus' name, amen.